Michael, this is all very confusing. This is On Markets with Remy Tino and Mike, the podcast where we decrypt and demystify economic, financial, and other investing concepts. For a while, I feel like we couldn't stop talking about crypto assets, NFTs, meme stocks, and everything else on the show. You know, like all trends, the conversation around those topics has sort of faded away. But just because crypto hasn't been dominating the headlines over the past few months, it doesn't mean it's a passing fad. So today we're going to talk about an idea that while it hasn't taken the finance world by storm just yet, I have a feeling that it might. And that's the idea of tokenized stocks. Because this conversation requires some foundational knowledge in regards to what crypto actually is, this will be a two-part episode. Part one will focus on some foundational crypto 101 information, and part two will get into the tokenization of stocks and the potential repercussions. If you have any questions, comments, or would like us to discuss your financial situation on the show, email us at comments at onmarkets.com. Also, if you like the show, don't forget to hit the follow button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. So how do you guys want to start the show? Well, I think this topic was Tino's idea, and he sent an article over for us to read prior to the podcast, which you know, which we do all the time. And I think I read it through twice and realized that I still don't really know what I read. You know, we've, we've alluded to the fact that I've got 20 years on you guys, and there's not a lot that makes me feel old. But when I start reading about these kinds of things, it's one of the, those few times that I that I start to feel old. It's like, is this just me not being able to understand what's going on here? These concepts are so completely different that it's honestly hard for me to wrap my head around what's going on. So I love the idea that we're going to sort of go back and, and do a bit of a primer on, on crypto and, and tokenization. So why don't, why don't we start with a little bit of one-on-one information? And I think that part of the confusion, Mike, that everybody has is that the terms when we're talking about crypto, I think they're very poorly defined and they're often used interchangeably when they may or may not actually mean the same thing. So I think the first thing to understand is that there's two separate categories of crypto. There's crypto that is being used as a currency. Obviously, that is called cryptocurrency. And I think that the word cryptocurrency gets used for all of crypto when it really is just one category. The other is a crypto asset, right? A crypto asset is not used as a currency. It is used as a tradable good, just like any other asset. So that is a very important to understand because when you're talking about something like Bitcoin, Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency. Its primary function is to be used as a currency. But when you're talking about something like Ethereum, and that's somewhat of a, a bad example, I guess, because Ethereum has Ether, which Ether can be used and is designed to be used as a cryptocurrency. But the Ethereum platform was really designed as a smart asset platform. So I think understanding the difference between those two is, is extremely important. When you talk about cryptocurrencies, it's pretty straightforward. A cryptocurrency is just like any other currency. It's just digital, right? But when we talk about crypto assets, it can get a little bit confusing. When I say crypto asset, I mean something like NFTs, for instance, which is technically a crypto asset. It's simply a smart contract. Well, let me ask you this, Remy, because you by far have the most experience with crypto between the three of us. When I think about something like a crypto kitty or one of these crypto assets out there, the only way I can wrap my head around this is that it really is nothing more than taking that quote unquote certificate of authenticity and then tokenizing it, right? Putting it somewhere in a database somewhere. And then that whatever I bought, that stupid cat thing or that $69 million screensaver that got sold at auction a couple months ago, I can do whatever I want with it. It's just a file with megabytes in it or, or gigabytes, whatever it may be. But my ownership file, that certificate of authenticity, when you buy something, all they're doing is putting on the blockchain and then giving me that, that key, right? So that way I know it's mine. Exactly. And 
You know, I think that is a secondary source of confusion because when we talk about smart assets, sometimes we're talking about a certificate of authenticity on a physical item, whereas other times we're talking about a certificate of authenticity on a digital item. So that gets confusing as well. So let's try to break it down into something that everybody can understand because the concept is not a new concept. I guarantee everybody has been using this concept since they were 16 years old, but it's just being applied in a different way. So just about everybody I assume that's listening today has a car. How do you prove that that car is yours? If I have my car and Mike, I give Mike the keys and he drives it away and he tries to sell it, can he just sell it to anybody? No, he has to prove that it's his. And how does he prove that? Well, he's got a title. The title to the car is really the proof that you own the car. Just having the physical car doesn't do you any good. And when we talk about smart assets and we talk about tokenizing a physical item, It's exactly the same thing. You're taking a physical item, you're creating that certificate of authenticity, like you talked about earlier, Tino, and you're using that certificate of authenticity to trade that item. So when you trade that item, okay, so let's say, let's use your example. We've, you know, tokenized, if I'm using that term correctly, we've tokenized your title to the car or digital car, whatever it may be. And I want to go out and buy your car. How do we do that? Like what, what's the mechanism? Do I transfer you some ether and then there's some mechanism that swaps your key to my key on that file on the blockchain? Like how, how does all that work? The easiest way to think about this is if you bought that car on eBay. eBay is a marketplace or to use a different word, is an exchange, just like the stock exchange, just like a cryptocurrency exchange. It's a marketplace for trading goods. So if I want to sell my car, I post it on eBay and millions of people can look at that car. Somebody becomes the highest bidder, they win my car. They transfer me money and then I transfer them the title to the car usually I still have the car because I can't, you know, unless they happen to be located in my, my local area, I can't give them that car immediately. But because they've already paid me, I need to give them ownership of that vehicle. So I will mail them the title. And then maybe a couple of days later or a week later, or sometimes even a month later, I'll finally ship that car to the new buyer. Very similar to the crypto world, where instead of eBay as my marketplace or my exchange, I may use something like a uh, platform like Coinbase, Binance, FTX, or some of these other platforms, right? They, They get confusing. It sounds very confusing, but you can think of it just like an eBay. So I can go on to OpenSea, and that's OpenSea.io, which is just like eBay, and I can post uh, whatever. I have a, a picture of myself. Right? I have a physical picture that I'm holding in my hands. I can tokenize that picture if I want, which is essentially just creating a digital certificate of authenticity. And now I can go onto OpenSea.io and I can post that picture for sale, just like I would with a car on eBay. And if somebody wants to purchase that, they can bid on it. They can purchase it for whatever my list price is. And what happens is that when that sale, when that exchange happens, the certificate, the digital certificate of authenticity gets transferred from my name to their name. And when that happens, they now own my picture. Even though I may physically still have it, I will need to then get it to them somehow. I love this analogy of the car and the title, right? Because I've been buying and selling cars for 45 years. So it's very easily and readily understandable to me. But when I think about it, to me, the title is just the, as you said, it's the mechanism to prove ownership of a tangible item. Okay. So let's go back to that example that we had in a podcast way back. I think we called it Burning Banksy. You know, somebody tokenized a painting, then burned it, and now they're just selling the token. So to me, the analogy would be, okay, so now I have a car, I have a title to the car, except I drive the car off the cliff. 
and it's gone. Now I'm just selling the title. <laughs> I mean, it yes, just, except that, he wasn't, that's what I, he wasn't that's selling what I can't wrap title, my head around, though. right? You're not right. selling that's the okay. title to but the car. But that's not what he was selling. He wasn't selling the yeah. painting. He wasn't selling the car. What they right. were selling was the video of them burning the car. That's what they're burning the painting. That's yeah. what they were selling. So, and Got this it. is, that, that was sort of the, the point of the conversation that we had in that episode, right? Which is that this guy sold the video of him burning the painting and now somebody else owns that video. But the reality is he just transfers a copy of that video. The original person still has the video. So what sort of defines ownership at that point, right? You have the right. video, uh, you have the certificate of authenticity that says you own the video, but there's multiple copies of that video. I mean, I can find that video right now online and download it and now I have a copy too. I mean, is that really a, a viable asset? I don't know. I, I don't particularly think it is, but, and I think that was the, the basis of that conversation. Yeah, I guess I'm getting you off track. We're talking more about, you know, the, the philosophy of what people do and why they do it rather than the sort of the mechanics of how it works. There's another piece to this puzzle, which is blockchain. To stick with the car analogy, what stops me from posting my car on eBay, creating a fake title, which you know anybody with, with any computer skills these days can fake anything, and then just sending that fake title to the new buyer and moving on my way. There has to be some sort of authority that can authenticate that title, right? So in the car world, it's the Department of Motor Vehicles for whichever particular state you live in. But in the crypto world, it's a little bit different. It's the blockchain. And the blockchain isn't a singular location or a singular entity that regulates this, but rather a distributed ledger. Every time there is a trade, there is some sort of information that becomes embedded in that certificate of authenticity that proves that I now own whatever crypto asset I've purchased. So this, I think this conversation is interesting. I like the title analogy. Let's extend this because I think what it could do is maybe shed some light into why so many smart people with so much money right now are investing in the blockchain and crypto. So you're using a, a title example for a car. Well, Remy, I just bought a house. Uh, Mike buys houses you know, every other Sunday. When you buy a house, the title work that is done on that transaction, I remember I looked through the itemized list of what I was paying for when I closed on my house and I saw what I paid the title company and my jaw hit the floor. I mean, there was a fair amount of money that, that went to the title company to do, from what I understand, absolutely nothing. But it's a middleman, right? That middleman is doing what you're talking about. The blockchain is, is doing automatically. It is verifying that transaction is legit. So when I think about as an investor and disruptive technologies, and I sit there and I say, I've got this huge world of financial services that is basically built on middlemen. How do I use the blockchain to remove all that? If I bought a house from one of you on, let's say, using the blockchain, would I need the title company more? Would I need to spend a couple grand to have somebody do nothing more than say, okay, this person's legit, this person's legit, no liens, okay, great, done. When it could be done in a matter of seconds using technology. And that's the second part, right? Not only does it eliminate the need for somebody to verify it, but it does it in seconds, in fractions of seconds. And from what I understand, it's purely legit. There's an old, old saying that uh, there's no such thing as bug-free software code, but at the end of the day, like, how do you hack or how do you manipulate something like this? I think that's the beauty of the framework is that this is an autonomously running distributed ledger where, you know, let's say somebody steals or burns down a building with a computer that's part of the ledger. Well, guess what? You got a couple other, I don't know, 100,000 million, million nodes out there that, uh, that are keeping it going. So let's, let's review because I feel like we've sort of gone through all these little pieces and parts and we've gotten a little bit involved in each and sometimes that can be confusing. So what do you have? You've got 
the token itself, which is analogous to the title of the car or a certificate of authenticity. You have the asset, which can be a physical asset, could be a digital asset. You have the exchange, which is your marketplace for trading that token, right? Analogous to eBay. And then you have blockchain, which is the distributed ledger, which is analogous to the DMV or whatever verifies the ownership and the authenticity of whatever it is that you're trading. Does that help, Mike? Does that make it a little bit clearer as to what's happening? Yeah, no, it does. It all it, it does make sense. Listen, to to analogize it to something that people are used to thinking about in a certain way does make it a lot easier to understand. You know, it does start to for me, when I start to think about it, where my mind starts to wander is, you know, the uses for these things. And, and just now the conversation with the, the home title, the first thing I think of is, you know, wh why do we even have title companies anymore? I mean, if this technology exists, you know, what's the point? Other than the fact that you've got, you know, a whole lot of people to make a whole lot of money on it that would, would fight it pretty vehemently. But yeah, listen, to, you know, I feel the same way as you do. I, I buy and sell homes all the time. And you know, you, you paying, you know, title insurance is a great example, right? You pay for title insurance, you buy a house like today, you, you sell it tomorrow, somebody else pays for title insurance again for the exact same thing that, that nobody's done anything on. It doesn't make any sense. So I can absolutely see where these things can be disruptive and, and wipe out well-established processes and procedures, but it also seems like it's going to put a lot of people sort of out of work or terminate their income stream. Well, what's interesting is I think that this type of stuff rarely gets talked about. It's it's not, you know, sort of it's not in the headlines. Typically when you're talking about crypto, you're usually talking about Bitcoin or you're talking about Dogecoin, which is also theoretically going to be used as a currency. You're not really talking about the crypto asset side or another term for that is the smart contract side of of the crypto world and how disruptive that's going to be. And I think that when a lot of people feel like they can't really understand the legitimacy of crypto, because if you think about it from strictly the terms of Bitcoin or Dogecoin or, or a currency platform, I would agree. I think that you can certainly challenge whether or not that truly will or can replace paper currency. But that's a small part of the crypto world. And when you start to understand that there are a ton of applications for the crypto asset or the smart contract side of crypto, I think you start to really understand that crypto is here to stay and crypto is the future and crypto is going to replace, like you said, Mike, it's going to replace a lot of middlemen. It's going to replace a lot of ancillary work that's being done right now that really doesn't need to be done. I'm not sure we can do this in, in, in two episodes. This, this, <laughs> this conversation is, is going on for a while and, and I feel like we've just really sort of started. So before we can get into talking about the tokenization of stocks, I think there's another piece to this puzzle that we need to talk about, which is collateralized versus non-collateralized tokens. Again, to, to use it an analogy that everybody can understand, and Tino, you can speak to this much better than I can, but I would analogize that to the US dollar, whereas at one point it was backed by gold and now it's backed by the trust of the government. Is very similar to the concept of collateralized and non-collateralized tokens. And I think that the pros and cons are very similar to each two. That's probably the best example I can think of. Back in the day when we were on the gold standard, if I had one US dollar, which was a true paper currency back then because we had no computers, I could go and theoretically go to the US treasury and say, okay, here's my dollar, give me my gold. And they should be able to offer me that transaction. Now, obviously you couldn't, I don't think you could really do that back in the day, but it was backed by something physical. Today, 
you're right. It's backed by the full faith of the U.S. government. And all that means is, hey, look, you know, we're good. We're good for the money. Don't worry about it. And you have to have a lot of faith in something to be okay with that type of, of arrangement. Now, the U.S. dollar is the world's reserve currency. It's spent eight, seven or eight decades getting to that point, and uh, it, it's, it's a unique type of currency. So most people don't worry about the U.S. dollar. Flip that around. Let's talk about bolivars from Venezuela or some other country where your country is saying, or your government's saying, hey, no, 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 it's good. We got the money. It's fine. Well, do you really trust it? It's hard to say. So you're right. The the issues or the risks, I rather, that you that you take on with collateralized versus non-collateralized simply depends on the issuer. So I think that's a good foundation for what crypto is. And I hope we made it a little bit easier to understand. And I think that's where we can sort of end part one. Part two, we're going to talk about this idea of tokenizing equities or tokenizing stocks, what that actually means, what the repercussions of that are, and how that differs depending on which platform you're using. So we'll pick up on part two on our next episode. Is there anything you guys want to add before we peace out? (laughs) No, I still feel like the dumbest guy in the podcast though. (laughs) Well, one of us always feels like that depending on the episode. (laughs) Well, it's my turn for sure this week. This podcast is created and presented by Darwin Asset Management, LLC and Darwin Advisors, LLC, collectively referred to as Darwin. Darwin does not make any representation or warranties and therefore takes no responsibility as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information contained in this podcast. Any tax or legal information contained in this podcast is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The information presented does not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there could be no assurance that any investment or strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Information presented is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of any offer to buy or sell the securities mentioned herein.